0: We're going to return tonight to our uh, theme verse for the camp, Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life before we go any further we have another math problem to consider tonight and just bear with me go ahead Uh, shout out the answers when you get it Uh, four times 10 equals 40 40 plus 60 equals 100 100 times 2 equals 200 200 plus 50 equals all right and 250 minus 3 equals how do you say it come on y'all do better than that 24 guard your heart 24 7 thank you all for humoring me remember the equation is designed to remind us that uh, this is the kind of problem that the only way you can get the right answer at the end is if you get every single question right uh, and of course the earlier that you mess up the more the problem is wrong. If you get down to number four, for example, you still get number four, number five, right? But uh, man, if you get the first one wrong, then the whole thing goes wrong. And you see, the enemy is out to get your hearts tonight, students. Because as bad as it is for somebody my age to mess up, I mean, that doesn't change all the things that I've already done. But for you, your whole life is still ahead of you. It can get you on the wrong course at this point in life. It can mess up years and years and years of your life. The words that we have before us is our camp verse is uh, from King Solomon. They were written to his son, probably Rehoboam, the heir to the throne. I ask you last night to picture that glorious king sitting on the throne and robed in royalty, with his crown and his scepter in his hand, calling his son in close or maybe his baby girl, and he said, listen, above all else, above all else, you guard your heart. You must guard your heart. We guard our hearts because they are incredibly precious. They're precious because out of it then comes the issues of life. We guard our heart then, not only because they're precious, but also we guard our hearts because they're in peril. They're in great, great danger in the world in which you live. We know that our spiritual hearts are where our feelings, our emotions come together with our wants or our desires and our beliefs. Uh, That is what we hold to be true and false. Who we believe in and what we believe. Those things come together in our hearts and they determine what we do and what we don't do. How we live. How we behave. They all come together in our spiritual hearts. Now, we saw last night, we talked about our wants, our desires, what we want. Tonight, I want us to see that there's a direct correlation between what we want and how we feel. And we all know that when you don't go get what you want (laughs) how does that make you feel I could ask you all tonight to poke your bottom lip out like this but I'll be the only one who does that's how it makes us feel we pout we get a bad feeling when we don't get what we want we're familiar with that but I want to show you a passage of scripture tonight Psalm 106, 106 and verse 14 But they lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And He gave them their request, but He sent leanness into their souls. Some of you will remember in Bible school when you learned, or Sunday school, when you learned about how the children of Israel got tired of the manna, and they asked God for meat, and so He gave them quail, and then they ate quail until they were sick of it. And the psalmist speaks of that in this passage. He said, God gave them what they asked for, but it brought leanness into their souls and we need to know tonight that we can't always get what we want by the way the great theologian Mick Jagger told us that only the old people got that Mick Jagger was not a theologian but he did say it you can't always get what you want that was his way of saying it yeah uh, hey a broke clock is still right twice a day even Mick Jagger can get it right every now and then students you can't always get what you want that is a profound thing for you to know because there's a big part of our culture today that's trying to convince you that you can get whatever you want do whatever you want be whatever you want nope but then the Bible gives us something else to go with that sometimes we get what we want but it doesn't make us happy There is a room full of neglected, broken toys somewhere in your life that you wanted more than anything else. And you've been through with them for years. You thought, oh, if I get this, man, that's what I need. But it wasn't. Tonight I want us to look a little deeper at this man that God used to tell us, guard your heart above all else for out of it are the issues of life. And I wanna read to you out of 1 Kings chapter 10 a story that happens because it's the story of a visitor that came to see King Solomon. She heard about his wisdom, about his knowledge, and, and she had a heart and mind full of questions. And she heard that Solomon could answer anything. So she brought together a humongous caravan and you see them going up out of Africa into Israel with this huge caravan camels laden down with gold and silver. She would pay an incredible sum, a mind-boggling sum to sit down with Solomon and have Solomon answer her questions. Her name was the Queen of Sheba. And When she came, she gave this testimony. Verse 6 she said to the king it was a true report which I have heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom however I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes and indeed the half was not told me your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard happy are your men and happier these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. What a huge deal that was. (laughs) Such a big story that Jesus Christ himself brings it up. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 42, the queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. Don't miss what Jesus said. The world waited a long time for a greater king than Solomon to stand in Israel. Long time. But now a greater than Solomon was here. And the very people who should have recognized that were turning away from it. You see, Jesus brought this whole story up. God appeared to Solomon when he was a child. He came to him in his sleep. He called him beloved. Solomon asked for wisdom and God gave it to him in incredible abundance. Only Jesus, after Solomon, would qualify to be a greater king than he. Now I want you to notice 1 Kings 11. That was 1 Kings 10. 1 Kings 11. But. King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh. Women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. I state this very succinctly tonight. Solomon let his guard down. The same man who told his son so intently. The same man that God used to write this that reaches across these ages to speak to all of us tonight. That same man let his own guard down. And when he was old, his heart was turned away from the Lord. Solomon got married 700 times. That's 699 more times than he should have. Amen. 700 times. Do you ever think that 700 wives means 700 weddings? Can you imagine that? I did the math. If he got married once a week without a break, it would take him 13 years to marry 700 women. And that's once a week. Can you imagine? No! <laughs> double it once every two weeks 26 years once a month oh my goodness 50 years it had taken to marry 700 wives now I mentioned that to my wife and 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 of course she very astutely observed well they didn't all probably have a big wedding man how would you like to live with that I'm sorry, wife number 493, I'm not going to give you the same kind of wedding I gave to 212 down there. Sorry, she was, uh, I liked her hair better. Uh, How's that going to work out? I I don't know, he was a king. How do you marry somebody and just not be a big deal? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. What it does tell us is he had 700 wives. A concubine, by the way, was a secondary wife. It means she did not have the legal title of a wife, which means he took another 300 women besides that, that he kind of lived with somehow, but he never bothered to marry thousand women. His heart was turned from God. We notice again then the formula tonight that I mentioned to you in our math problems. First Kings 11 says when Solomon was old. When he was old. His wives turned away his heart from God and it wasn't just the women that he married and it wasn't just the concubines and all the things that was going along with it. You see we know Solomon for building the temple in Jerusalem but Solomon also built a temple in Jerusalem to the dreaded Canaanite god Molech that they worshiped by burning their children alive. Solomon did that too. His favorite God was apparently Ashtoreth because the Bible mentions that particularly. Ashtoreth we know better as Venus or Aphrodite. She was of course the goddess of sexual passion. Of course, that was Solomon's favorite God. It didn't change anything that he had done. God had still given him wisdom when he was a child. He had still conversed with God. He had still built God a temple. He had still prayed at the dedication of that temple. He still saw the glory of God come down from heaven and fill that place. He saw all of that. He did all of that. That did not change. But when he was old, his heart was turned away from God. He died in disgrace. There's more. Because when his heart was turned away from God, the Bible records for us very painfully and in great detail the incredible emptiness and sorrow that filled his heart. Once he walked with God, once the very wisdom of God dripped from his lips, once people traveled from the whole world over to hear what Solomon had to say because he communed with God and God spoke through him and his word as the king of Israel as a prophet as a spokesman of God he was without equal and yet when his heart was turned away from God he ends up with an incredible emptiness the whole book of Ecclesiastes tells us about it Solomon wrote that book too Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 11, Solomon says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done and all the labor in which I had toiled. All the work I had done. All the labor I had toiled. And indeed all was vanity, meaningless, empty, like grasping for the wind. There was no prophet under the sun. Then I turned myself to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who succeeds the king? Only what he has already done. And I saw that wisdom excels folly as light excels darkness. The wise man's eyes are in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Yet I myself perceived that the same event happens to them all. So I said in my heart, as it happens to the fool, it also happens to me. And why was I then more wise? This also is vanity. There is no more remembrance of the wise than of the fool forever, since all that now is will be forgotten in the days to come. And how does a wise man die? As the fool. Therefore, I hated life. Because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Solomon told us, guard your heart above all else, but Solomon let his guard down. As his heart was turned away from God, he began to look at his life and suddenly everything that he had done the temple that he had built for God, the, the, the statements that he had made for God, the, the truth that he had taught, the people that he had set out to help, it all looked meaningless to him. His heart so empty, He full of morbid thinking, I, I'm going to die and I'll die, it doesn't matter if I'm a wise man or a fool, because I'm going to die and we all die the same. That man who had so much truth in his mind and in his heart suddenly, falls victim to a foolish lie. With all of his wisdom and all of his wealth and all of his women, he hates life. We would say it this way, I hate my life. Anybody that works with students in America today hears that statement, I hate my life. I hate my life. We might convince ourselves that the reason I hate my life is because I don't have money. But you know, Solomon had all kinds of money and he hated his life. You might think that the reason that I hate my life, the reason somebody would hate their life is because they don't have the freedom to do whatever they wanted to do. But Solomon was the king, the most powerful man in the world. He could do whatever he wanted and yet he still hated his life. We might think that the answer is all in sexuality in our day where sexuality, as we mentioned last night, is on the mountaintop ruling and giving precedence over everything. So if I could just have sex the way I want, if I could just be the way I want sexually, then it'd be fine. But Solomon had all that and he said, I hate my life. That's not the answer. Solomon would have read some of the things he wrote before he turned his heart from God. He would have known why he hated his life. He would have known why he had such a depressing look on life. Why it seemed like his whole life was meaningless and worthless. He would have known if he would have just read his own stuff, guys. It was Solomon who said in Proverbs 15 and 13, A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken so that when sorrow comes into our heart and we let it abide there and dwell there when sorrow takes over when we begin to feel the feelings of sorrow and depression for whatever reason and we begin to let that go what does it do it wounds our spirit why is that dangerous next verse proverbs 18 14 the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity but a wounded spirit who can bear The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit. What wounds the spirit? Sorrow and heart. And our emotions go south on us, as we say. Our emotions go down. Our heart is pulled down. Our spirit is weakened. A couple of things for you tonight. We'll see real quickly the ministry, first of all, then, of a healthy heart. I want you to see it. Proverbs seventeen twenty two says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bone. A merry heart does good like medicine. You see, the Bible says the spirit of a man will sustain his infirmity. The spiritual side of us is like the white corpuscles—I'll get it out in a uh, minute—of the of the human fleshly body. That's what fights off infection. We have a marvelous immune system; it works very well, and it fights off all kinds of diseases and all kinds of infections. Sometimes, though, our immune system needs a boost. We call that medicine. So that God has designed us so that our spirits would fight off a lot of infirmity, a lot of weakness, a lot of bad things that might come to us spiritually, a lot of bad things that might happen to us in our life. Our spirit, if it's strong and healthy, will get us through it. But if we let our heart be wounded and broken, our spirit is weakened. And in those times where our heart needs to come in with some good vitamins or spiritual amoxicillin and, and you know give our immune system a boost but if our heart's broken we can't do it a merry joyful heart doeth good like a medicine so how do I get a joyful heart I'm glad you asked Proverbs sixteen twenty. Solomon wrote this too he who heeds the word wisely will find good and whoever trusts in the Lord happy is he whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. You see, if trusting in the Lord and hearing and heeding His Word makes the heart of a believer in Christ happy so that it allows it to be the medicine to our spirit uh, that it needs in to sustain us against the infirmities, the weak and troubled times that are sure to come, if that is true and it is true, then we ask ourselves tonight, did Solomon believe all that? Sure he did. He wouldn't have written it if he didn't believe it. So, how did he end up hating his life? It's simple, students. He stopped believing. He stopped believing it. I'm not trying to tell you tonight that Solomon lost his salvation. There's not a shred of that kind of information found anywhere in the Word of God. Once we are saved, we are saved forever. Amen? Amen. Not trying to tell you that. I'm telling you Solomon stopped believing that truth that he that trusts in the Lord happy is he I don't know when I don't know how all I know is what the Bible said he married 700 wives and when he was old his wives turned his heart away from the Lord the question for us all tonight is do we believe it do we still believe it Part of us knows it to be true. He that trusts in the Lord, happy is he. There was a time in your life, if you're saved, when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and you were saved, were you happy at that moment in time? Surely more than 12 people can say amen. Were you happy at that moment in time? When you were saved. He that trusted in the Lord, happy is he. Do we believe it? How about you preachers and youth leaders tonight? How about you sponsors and parents? Do you believe it? Do we ever find ourselves not living out that truth? Can we end up hating our lives too? Can we end up feeling like our whole life's work has gone for nothing? Can we feel like everything we're doing is all in vain? You can't imagine, students, how many times the devil sits on the shoulder of your pastors and your youth leaders and whispers that in your heart. You can't imagine how many times I've heard it in the preparation of this message. He heard it again and again and again. They won't listen. You can hear his old slimy voice. I've already got their hearts. They're not going to listen. It's not going to make any difference. You can't do any good. Do preachers believe those lies sometimes? Yes. More all the time. Did Solomon once believe the truth? Yes. He spoke it himself. Yes, he did. Did he know it was true? Yes, he knew it. Did he turn away from it? Yes. Did it wreck his heart to the point that he felt like he hated his life? Yes. You see, there is a a part of the Spirit then that has a ministry in us, and as long as that Spirit is right, then it sustains us and it keeps us going. That is the ministry of a healthy spiritual heart. But then, of course, there's the misery of a broken heart, and I've just got a couple of passages I want to share with you about this. Proverbs fifteen thirteen: A merry heart makes a cheerful countenance, but by sorrow of the heart the spirit is broken. The heart of him who has understanding seeks knowledge, but the mouth of fools feeds on foolishness. Infirmity speaks of weakness, so whether it's sickness or trauma or defeat or failure or anything else, your spirit can get you through it. Solomon had an advantage over most people in that he knew those things, but the fact that he knew it didn't mean he worked it out in his own life. We add then to this what Jesus himself told us in John chapter 13 and verse 17. He said, if you know these things, happier ye if you do them. If you do them. It is not just the knowing of these things. Knowing these things didn't keep Solomon happy, didn't keep him on track. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. And I'll be the man tonight to stand up in front of this crowd and look you all in the eyes as best I can see them and tell you that you are thinking maybe that somehow or another I'm, I'm immune from all this. You're not. You know a lot of biblical facts. But knowing those things is not enough. Happy are you if you do them. Solomon warned about feasting on foolishness. Somewhere along the line, Solomon himself started doing that. And even the wisdom that he had in his heart didn't keep him from suffering the consequences feasting on foolishness. And if you are a blood-bought, born-again child of heaven's king tonight, if you're a saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, born-again Christian, if that's you tonight and you hate your life, I can tell you why. I can tell you why. You've been feasting on foolishness and it's turned your heart away from God. The world and your social media account provide you with a smorgasbord of foolishness every single day. I doubt there's very many people, if any, in this room tonight that on any given day spend more time with the Lord than you do checking your social media accounts. It is constantly tracking you, by the way. Uh, They see what you like. They see what you click on. They see when you show interest in something. They see what you read if you're reading a certain article, then then immediately their logarithms go into effect, and so all of a sudden you start seeing more and more and more and more and more, and the more you feast on that stuff, oftentimes it's flat-out flagrant lies, but the more you feast on it, the more sense it starts making to you. You feast on foolishness, as you listen to what a lot of your friends are saying. And I'll again, I'll be the guy tonight that stands up here and looks you in the eye and tells you your friends don't know anything more than you do. They Don't know any more about life than you do. Most of them are just as miserable as you are. They've got just as many questions. They don't know the answers. You think because you've got Google that that's going to give you all the answers of life. It doesn't. It doesn't. Feast on foolishness so we see then the ministry of a healthy heart and how it is like the the white corpuscles of the human body it is our immune system when trouble comes when difficulty comes when strife comes when discouragement comes our spirit goes into effect and when our spirit needs that help that's when the heart that good healthy strong joy filled heart with a heart for god it goes into action and it sustains us it keeps us going how many of you have figured out by now that a lot of times in life it is just one step after another? Putting my foot one step in front of another. It is getting through it. One step at a time. It's not solving everything. You can't. But I'll tell you what you can do with a good Spirit and a strong, healthy heart. It'll sustain you. How do you know that, Brother Rich? Because the Bible, God's word, tells us it will. And because I've lived it out in my own life again and again and again. It'll sustain you. It'll keep you going. I want to close out tonight with another character in our narrative. It's a man by the name of Daniel different story, different time, different man. And with just the mention of his name, I know some of you already know what passage of scripture that I'm going to go to is Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. Daniel purposed in his heart, but but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat nor with the wine which he drank. What an incredibly different but that is. In Daniel 1 chapter and verse 8, we saw it in 1 Kings 11 and 1, but Solomon loved many foreign women and they turned his heart away from God, but Daniel purposed in his heart. I want to share with you a little bit about what a different story this is. Daniel lost everything he had. A foreign country, a foreign government, a foreign kingdom invaded Israel. The kingdom was from Babylon. Was in modern day Iraq. They invaded Israel, swept over it. Everything Daniel had or would have ever had was swept away he and a lot of other young men probably about your age look around yourselves tonight probably about your age just before puberty maybe just after maybe right in the middle of it those were the young ones that they took they castrated them the bible calls them eunuchs you probably didn't know that so i thought i'd just go ahead and tell you that's what they did they put him under a man who was called the prince of eunuchs that is that he was over all of the rest of them they took them then to Babylon to a foreign country they had left their family their family was gone they would teach them a new language develop then whatever skill they had to serve the king and advance the kingdom of Babylon they had one simple goal to make them loyal obedient servants to the king of Babylon They even tried to give them a new religion where Daniel means God is my judge. They gave Daniel the name Belteshazzar, which means Bel protects my life. Just a subtle difference. Whole different God. Daniel then and the other Hebrew young men would be subjected to this powerful indoctrination process Make them subjects to the king and incorporate them into the culture of Babylon. Many of the young men they carried to Babylon did exactly that. Their life in Israel was gone. There could never be a marriage for them, never any family. If they went back, there was nothing to go back to. There were a lot of reasons to forget everything they'd ever learned. There were many reasons to go along with this indoctrination process and fit in in their new life. And many, many of them did it, went along. But Daniel purposed in his heart. You see, the God Daniel knew in Israel was still the same God in Babylon. The God he had served and honored in Israel was the God he was going to serve and honor in Babylon. And though they could give him a new name and they could give him a new place to live and make him learn a new language and give him a new king to serve, they could not control what was in his heart. Daniel purposed in his heart that I will not defile myself with the king's food. Daniel knew, you see, the king's food was not kosher. So right there he drew the line and he went in to the prince of the eunuchs and with the favor that he had gained with him, he requested, please don't make me defile myself. Let me live according to the purpose in his heart. And they tried it. You know how the story went on. I don't have time to preach all that to you tonight. I want to make a simple application for you. As a youth of America in 2022, you are being subjected to almost exactly this kind of indoctrination effort. They are going after you precisely because you're young, precisely because you're inexperienced, precisely because you don't have uh, the life experience and the maturity level. They go after you because you're, uh, while you're young and because you're young. What do they want to do? They want you to speak the words. That they want you to speak the things, the words that they're being told, that you're being told are the right words to say. They want you to think the thoughts, the thoughts that are the right thoughts to think. Accept all the things that you're being told to accept. Embrace all the things that you're being told to embrace. To say okay to all the things that they're telling you are okay. You're being shown everywhere that there are powerful, powerful people behind this. And if you stand up against it, they'll make you pay. You see, they're giving you powerful reasons to go along with what they're telling you, even though, even though you know that what you're being told contradicts the truth of God and the truth of God's creative work in us. You know it. If you don't conform to this indoctrination you'll be scorned, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be made fun of, hated. You face the loss of your freedom and livelihood and even face perhaps the increasing threat of violence. Guess what? Daniel faced all that too. He was hated, attacked, spied on, imprisoned, lied on, ultimately thrown in a den of lions. But at the same time, Daniel had conversations with angels that called him greatly beloved. Solomon had that conversation with the Lord himself as a child who called him greatly beloved but Daniel had it after a long and productive life of standing for God of that determination that he made even in the culture even in everything that had happened to him even though it was hard even though people hated him even though they lied on him even though it might cost him his life I have purposed in my heart that I might not defile myself I'm going to be obedient to God it's in my heart and even at the threat of his life, he wouldn't give in. And at the end of his life, what did he get? Daniel 12, 13. Daniel 10, 11. O Daniel, man, greatly beloved. Daniel 12, 13. But you go your way to the end, for you shall rest and will arise to your inheritance at the end of the days. Daniel. Solomon stopped guarding his heart. It was turned from the Lord through sorrow of heart. He hated his life. His spirit was weakened. When he needed his, his spirit to be strong, it wasn't. He turned to false gods. He found gods that would let him do whatever he wanted. But his heart grew more and more empty. And he hated his Life. Daniel purposed in his heart. He died with the breath of angels whispering in his ear, saying, You've done a good job. You can rest and you'll rise again at the end of days. It doesn't matter, you see, tonight whether you're 12 or 22 or 42 or 62 or 82, it doesn't matter. You can let sorrow in your heart start hating your life and end up with a weakened spirit making disastrous and catastrophic decisions. Like we saw last night, just going deeper and deeper. It doesn't matter how tired you get, how weary you are of it, just keep on going. That can happen. It happened to the very man who told us to guard your heart above all else. We can do that. Or you can purpose, students tonight in your heart as Brother Jason and our praise team starts coming up at this time, you can purpose in your heart, that I'm going to stay with God's truth. I'm going to stay with what I know to be right. I'm not going to give in to this indoctrination process because you don't control what's in my heart. You might have some power, world, over what I see. You might have some power over what I have to study. You might have some power over what kind of lessons that I have to listen to. But at the end of the day, only God has control of my heart. I have submitted. I have bowed my heart unto God. And I'm going to purpose in my heart. But I'll not defile myself. You say, oh, Brother Rich, I've, I've already messed up. You, don't, you just don't know. <laughs> Students, let me remind you tonight, God knows. God knows right where you are. God knows where you've been. God knows what you've been through. As we saw last night, He still gives you that message. I'll heal your heart. I dwell, God says, with those who are humble and who are contrite those who are repentant who turn to me and if you're asking tonight you say well brother Rich how do I guard my heart that's the first thing I preached it to you last night the first thing we need to do is say God you're right and I've been wrong please forgive me guess what he will he runs to repentant sinners with open arms read the parable of the prodigal son He runs out to meet you when you humble yourself before Him and say, yes, I've been wrong. And So many need to make that decision tonight. God then gives you this incredible truth. The spirit of a man will sustain his infirmities, but a wounded spirit who can bear by sorrow of heart, the spirit is broken. Feast on foolishness. Maybe tonight, you want to say, well, you know, Brother Rich, I, I, I've been feasting on foolishness. Okay. I'm not, you're not the only one. I'm not immune to it. Nobody else in this building is. We've all sat down to a good old helping of foolishness from time to time in our life and ate it up and licked up the gravy out of the plate. Got to tasting real good. We've all done it. Tonight, you can go to God and say, God, I know I've done that. Starting right now, I want a purpose in my heart that I'm going to live for you. When I ask you to do these things tonight, I, I'm not asking you to come forward. We don't do that to just try to single you out. We don't ask you to come forward and make a decision like this. I'm just asking you to do like Daniel did. He purposed it in his heart, but then he went to somebody. He he stated it publicly. He did it in front of everybody, all of his friends, all of the others who had come with him. He went directly to the prince of the eunuchs and he said, "I've made this decision." See, there's something that that does for us. It's something that it does for our heart. It's not just something that I decide but I I keep it all to myself. No. It's something we say boldly. That's why we ask you to come forward. That's why we ask you to make that decision. That's why we ask you to step out and share it with your youth pastor or with some other pastor or some other leader. We're not trip just trifling with you. We're not, we're not playing again. This is not something trivial. Purpose in your heart. Students, you know it. The indoctrination is real. The indoctrination to say what they say. To speak they truth. To speak they heart. To speak they language. To accept they reality. You know what I'm saying. And that's just one small part of the indoctrination you're getting, purpose in your heart. So I'll stand together.